Powered by Red Media in partnership with TSN, this is Season 5, Episode 37 of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast, presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, who've introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, the CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask. All the hallmarks of classic Canadian club with the added richness and sweetness of sherry. And a uh, new face, old face, if you're joining us on the Rain Dregs YouTube channel. Um, back on the podcast is Jeff O'Neill of famed Overdrive on TSN, the TSN panel covering the Toronto Maple Leafs regional games. Um, and, you know, oh, a bit of a rare occurrence here. It's not like you're new to the podcast on Rain Dregs, but we thought we'd do something different. Uh, Ray is away on a golf holiday. I mean, well-earned. Everybody needs a break on occasion. But normally he would take his stuff, his laptop, his microphone, all of that. This time I said, you know what? It's season five. You don't need to be taking your laptop on a holiday. You know, we've got good people around us. We're going to bring in the O-Dog. And for a couple of episodes, he'll do what you do. So, I guess what I have to ask is, since you're co-hosting this week, are you going to play it straight, or should we expect the usual shenanigans in the next couple of episodes? Well, Dregs, the one thing I want to ask you is, if I have to bring one characteristic of (laughs) Ray Ferraro, like, do I have to act miserable? Do I have to be grumpy? I don't know what What's the one main thing that the listeners are going to want to expect? Because Ray's here every episode and they get a steady dose of him. So I was thinking about getting like an old, like going to the costume and getting a gray beard and like square glasses and just acting miserable for half an hour. But I didn't pull it off yesterday. Nah, you know what? And I'm, I'm just, and I'm glad he didn't bring his stuff on a golf trip because you imagine that guy taking a break and he's a freak when he goes on golf trips. Oh, yeah. I know the fame golf trips that he go. They play yeah. 36 a day for 10 days straight. I love golf. I'm not doing that, especially if I'm walking. That's exactly what this trip is. And he no. legitimately said, we're playing 36 a day. You know, on this day, I might be able to squeeze in like 45 minutes here, there, and everywhere. And then Ryan Rashog and I, as we're having this group chat last Thursday, go, no, no, we're good. You know, O-Dog's agreed. He's going to come on the pod. You should have seen the look of relief on Ferraro's face. He was like, really? We can do that? I was talking with a buddy of mine, and Ray's been out there with his clan. I don't know where – Bandon Dunes, I think it is, where – I was presented this golf trip, and it was 36, 36, 36, and then plane ride home. And at the very end, my buddy said, just just one thing, though, and this turned out to be a big thing. There's no carts, and it's caddy every round. I'm like, I have no interest in that. I attempted to start walking a couple years ago, and I lasted nine. This is when I was massive. Not that I'm not right now. But I dropped. Yeah. I've lasted nine whole strikes and my hip flexors, I almost yeah. passed out on the 10 tee and I got in a cart. Can't walk, can't do it. Yeah, but even on courses like that, if you have a medical exemption that you still can't take a golf cart, I don't know, put the white flag on uh, the roof of the, the golf cart and away you go. I did it once. I asked for the flag and I didn't deserve it, but I used it because I couldn't do it anymore. It was embarrassing. My buddy's got a picture of it where it's just ridiculous with the flag on there. I'll never do it again. I think I'm in good enough shape to walk now, but I just, I'm not like, I'm not golfing to exercise. I just want to play golf and get it over with. 
but you're also a guy though, like time matters to you. Well, it matters to all of us, but you're not out there for the five hour rounds of golf. No, right? I got to do overdrive every day at four o'clock yeah. and I want to be home and done golf by noon so I can have lunch, get a nap, do some prep, do whatever. So I got to get it done early or I don't do it. Excellent. There is the O-Dog, Jeff O'Neill, joining us uh, this week on the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast. So let's drift into headlines uh, brought to you by Tim Hortons, who are celebrating 60 years this year. Did you know the first Tim Hortons opened in Hamilton, 1964? And now over 4,000 restaurants dot the map across Canada, 5,700 around the world. So check it out. Check out their four iconic retro donuts as part of the celebration available now. All right, oh, we're going to start in Los Angeles with our headlines. And Ray and I have spent a good amount of time on the podcast talking about the Los Angeles Kings. First part of the year, it was because, man, they're, they're a good team. We're talking about a Stanley Cup contender. Now we're waiting to see what management ownership is going to do. And I Look, you, you and I are, are very similar because we have to talk about you know, react to things on, on varying TSN panels. Nobody likes the coach watch. Nobody likes that. You know, no. it's it's ugly because these are good men. They're good coaches. But in this case, yeah, we know the Kings are playing better, but they're still losing. So as a player, do you know when something's coming? Can you sense, can you feel that there's a change coming? And now maybe that's coach, maybe that's something else, but you feel it, right? And it, 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 kind of interrupts the way you should play in certain situations. It's a miserable feeling, Dregs. I played on some on some teams that just didn't have it in Carolina. And mind you, I think Jimmy Rutherford acknowledged and, and the expectations weren't massive in Carolina, but you're literally sitting around day by day wondering if certain players are getting traded or if the coach is still going to be around. And it, it's a really difficult situation in Los Angeles. I can remember early on in the season talking with Frank Corrado, and it's a good way to judge kind of where a team's at because he said to me, he's like, man, I can't see a team if the playoffs started today. And mind you, this was early on. He said, I don't know if a team could beat them four times in a series right now. And I totally agreed. And now they're in a situation where it looks like I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs. And the it's thing unreal. is – I always believe in it's my first kind of go-to where I'm like, let the players dig out of this. Let them figure it out because it's the same bunch of guys that had the start that they did. So they've yeah. got to be able to figure out. But the thing with pro sports and especially in hockey is you see it in Edmonton. You see that coach bump and it must be so enticing for Rob Blake or whoever to look at that and say, do we have to do that to save the season? Because yeah. that's what the Edmonton Oilers did and that look at where they are now. So yeah. it's it's gone so south in Los Angeles, and there's a couple things to it. They got to get a save sooner or later because that goaltending, buying into it, although that was the goaltending that got the job done. I know Copley's hurt, but that's mm -hmm. the goaltending that got the job done at the beginning of the season. But it's just fallen off. You're looking at David Riddick to get the job done for you. You're probably in some trouble. But I don't know. You look at those guys, and it seemed like there's just whenever a team falls off like that. I don't just look at the coach. I'm like, is, is there something wrong in that locker room? Did something happen where everybody's pissed at someone, pissed at a player? Is it Pierre-Luc Dubois coming in there? And I do credit the Los Angeles Kings. They had a kind of a Vegas flair to them, Dregs, where it was like yeah. they've been aggressive. Fiala's available, go get him. Philip Deneau, go get him. Pierre-Luc Dubois, go get him. 
they're trying their best to put the lineup out there to kind of turn this thing around and get Drew Doughty and Kopitar back on the map to see if they can pick off another one. And it's just turned into a mess for them right now. And what they're going to do, they've got to do, it's one of those things, can you do nothing and sit around and possibly take the chance of blowing the season? Or do you got to do something, whether that's a trade in the goaltending position or something else, or they're either, either that or they got to fire the coach, which is a sad state of affairs. Yeah, agreed. And and look, we keep waiting in the trade business for the goalie market to to get rolling. And, you know, we do get the sense that that might be one of the, the first positions that actually, you know, comes into play. But And Darren, if, if you're going to do it, you can't just chisel around the outside. If you're going to get a goalie in there, try and get a top guy. I know you yeah. got to give something up and, and a goaltender would make big dollars. But if that's what you got to do, there's no sense of just getting some backup. Yeah. It's just going to be not an improvement. It doesn't make sense. No. And, and again, even from a coaching standpoint with Todd McClellan, he's in the final year of his deal. As another experienced coach said to me, you know, the tricky part for ownership and management is how many how many games can you just blow out the door? Like at some point you have to make a, a very dramatic move to save your season. Look, Lou Amarillo just did it, bringing Patrick Waugh back into the National Hockey League. I mean, you don't have to be Mr. Popular, but you have to be able to make that tough call. Absolutely. And the thing is, you also have to look at the situation. I think kind of the Edmonton Oilers thought outside the box. I don't think no. anybody saw him coming in. Knobloch, it was like he wasn't on my no. radar. I'm not sure about no. yours, but you got to think about the guy that's going to be possibly coming in. Who that is right now, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, it's a wild time in the National Hockey League. And I say that generally speaking, right? Um, you know, some games are better than others. That's just commonplace. But is it just me? But we're seeing two nothing. We're seeing three nothing leads that don't even matter anymore. And last night was another indication that natural progress all over the Ottawa Senators. It's three nothing after the first. And I clicked off that game and I'm like, this one's going to be an absolute clunker. Like they're getting lit up here like nobody's business. And they claw back and win four three in overtime compliments of, of Claude Giroux. Like what? What is going on with these teams that either aren't ready to start, but yet aren't entirely ready to roll over? So the team that's leading by a significant margin has to expect, Nashville had to expect, didn't they, that, that Ottawa was going to push the way they did in that second period. Well, say. first off, good on the Ottawa Senators for clawing back and getting something out of that, ultimately getting the most out of that in two points. But you're looking at teams, and the only way I can describe it is the makeup of teams are so different now where it's not like te- everybody everybody in the National Hockey League, whether you're a first-line player or a fourth-line right winger, thinks that they're a 35-goal scorer. And they go out there, and their approach is like that, and they play like that where it's like yeah. back in the day, if you had a third and fourth line that were heavy and leaned on the opposition and grinded out four checks and ate away the clock, they would be heavily leaned upon in a 3 nothing game where it's like the skill guys, you want to be fancy, maybe you're just going to sit down for a little bit and watch these guys grind the clock away. Nobody plays like that anymore. Everybody wants a toe drag inside the blue line, a toe drag in the neutral zone, and, and then try to make it 4 nothing. where coaches got to be watching that. And I just find it crazy. Game management is almost out the window now. In it, is, like, it is. We got three goals, so let's just forget about that. Forget that that ever happened. Because the only thing that matters is the score clock. And at the end of the game, if you got more than the other team and the idea, and I get it, it's more difficult. There's no clutching and grabbing. 
And the idea of a lockdown and shut it down, it's, it's, it's hard to do now because of the way the penalties are called. And there's so many penalties, and we'll get into that later. It's yeah. just difficult to play that way. But just fundamentally being smart, you watch game after game where it's 3 nothing after the first, and you're like, just like you said, Dregs, close yeah. to shutting the game off, saying, well, I'll tune into this tomorrow to see the final score. It'll be 5 nothing." It's 5-3 for the other team. <laughs> so it's just it's a whole approach where these guys are so into skill, and it's like everyone thinks that they got to get a goal, got to get a goal. And a lot of teams play, I want to try to score a goal, as opposed to a team play where it's like we got to get the win here. Yeah. You know, I'm watching Ottawa closely. I mean, we've got the trade deadline looming March 8th. We know that Stales and company are going to do some things. In a perfect world, they'd bring in two, three character individuals. There's speculation, Chris Tana from, from the Calgary Flames, which, you know, when you analyze it on the short term, it doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're Chris Tanev, I mean, chances are you want to go to a Stanley Cup contender. You don't want to blow off the rest of this year, you know, playing with the Ottawa Senators, even though ultimately there'd be an extension that would be attached to it if he gets traded to Ottawa. But that does make sense, right? You bring in a TANF. Uh, if there's some way that you could yank Boone Jenner out of Columbus, which is another tire fire, like those are the pieces, right, that are going to turn the Ottawa Senators into a contending team very quickly, I would think. Not this year. We're looking into next year, maybe the, the year after that. But with a glut of young talent Ottawa has, would you agree? There there may be two, three players away from being a, a legit contender. I do agree with that, Dregs, because they need some guys that are just – they need some more of Claude Giroux, what he brings out there, just guys that have been there. Yeah. And the other thing is with the Ottawa Senators, and it might be a bit of a difficult pill to swallow, when you collect – like they drafted good players and they've turned into good players. But Darren, all of them have proved together that they're just not good enough to get it done. Yeah. So the idea of falling in love with all of them and thinking that all of them should be a part of it moving on, I think that would yeah. be a big time mistake. Because if you look at the quality teams in the past 10 or 15 years, the Chicago's, the LA Kings, the Pittsburgh Penguins, yeah, they were at least making the playoffs. The Toronto Maple Leafs, when those guys... Like the second year they're together, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and I'm not talking about going the distance because we know they haven't done that, but at least they made the playoffs. Yeah. And when yeah. you're not even sniffing making the playoffs, I think you really have to look at possibly moving away from some of those players. And that's the tricky part for Pooley and Steve Stales to figure out which ones you might want to part with because together they've proven – that they're just not good enough to make the playoffs. Not not go the distance, not win yeah. a couple rounds to make the playoffs. Same thing with Buffalo. They have to take a good look at that team where it's like, you know, they're not even challenging to make the playoffs. So how – and that's what I've found since I've taken this job at TSN, watching teams fall in love with their own ideas even when they don't succeed, which yeah. I just find crazy. It's like they spend so much time in the draft and development. They're dumping money into kids – but if they don't win, what good are they to you? It's like mm -hmm. you can't t toss them away like they're trash, but it's like the idea of having them all together moving forward, I don't think it would make sense, Dregs. No, I'm with you, man. So obviously the Ottawa Senators are a team we're going to monitor closely here in the days and the weeks ahead. Now, I, I kind of took a bit of a, a social media break on the weekend. Yeah, not, not a big deal. Just every once in a while, it's nice to just block out the noise, right? So 
I don't know if you engaged on the goalie interference scandal or not around the Toronto Maple Leafs on the weekend. Um, but I'm watching the game and I'm like, and, and the one thing, full credit to the video coaching department of the Maple Leafs, they never get this stuff wrong. If there's a coach challenge issued, they're right. So very Sheldon, yeah, Sheldon calls for the challenge. Um, and I'm like, it was obviously against the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a good goal. I mean, Hellebuck really wasn't interfered with. He had time. He had opportunity to, to position himself to, to make that save. Okay, obviously the Leafs lose that challenge. And the explanation I was given, because now I'm on it, right, and I'm getting to my hockey ops people, is that they didn't have the evidence in the video replay, in the reviews, to overturn the call on the ice. Dregs, uh, can you cut the crap but didn't have the evidence? I've seen the replay a hundred times, and I had the evidence. <laughs> William Nylander, and whenever we're on the panel and we get something like this, you will look over it, and I will look over it. And not that I deal with that type of stuff. Usually you do, but I only look at one thing. Yeah. How did the guy get to the goaltender? Did he go on his own will or did somebody push him into the goaltender? It's very yeah. simple. And for William Nylander, did he make any attempt? Not really. But at the end of the day, DeMello gave him one shot and then a secondary shove where he barely touched the goaltender. The contact wasn't egregious, but that's how I look at it. DeMello pushed him in the goaltender. The contact was very minimal, but he was pushed into the goalie. Yeah. And then the refs just say it's not a goal. I find bizarre. And the one worse, which is bizarro world, is Tavares getting slashed in front of the net. The I have three. no idea what the interaction with the ref was. Maybe <laughs> the ref said, you got to show me your stick is broken. And he did the, the flex and it yeah. broke. And then the yeah. arm went up. I have <laughs> never seen that in my entire life in hockey. Never in my life. Yeah. And what scares me, Dregs, and this is not Leaf bias, I don't give a crap who wins, who gets penalties, who gets power plays, but my fear is this garbage might happen in the playoffs in Game 7 of a series. Yeah. Maybe the Stanley Cup's on the line, and someone's going to flex their stick in the slot and the ref's arm's going to go up? It can't happen. I don't know how to make it better, what Billy McCreary and company in the league can do to make sure that this stuff... But as far as the refereeing in general... There are a lot of penalty. There are a lot of power plays now. And some yeah. of the plays I just find to be so ticky tacky. Guys stepping on a stick and it's called tripping. Guys are going down so easy. It's just, it's turned into a game that I'm not really familiar with and I don't like it. There's no. got to be some five on five play where it's grinding, there's momentum changes. It just seems like a lot of nights is special teams play, all of it. And it's yeah. not fun to watch. No, well, and, and just back to the goalie interference debacle. Um, you know, it's not like general managers just want to throw this out there for the sake of, of putting heat on hockey operations. When they say no one knows what goalie interference is, that's a legitimate confusion and concern from the manager. An example like that, Darren, is why nobody knows what it is. How can yeah. anybody say there wasn't evidence that showed that Nylander wasn't pushed into the net? Yeah. When every turkey like me has a phone and Twitter and looks at the replay and says, there's the evidence, but the league doesn't have the evidence, that to me doesn't make sense. I would have loved to have been in that, you know, we used to call it the war room. Now it's appropriately called the situation room. Five or six guys in there, all former players, 
uh, former official in there, right? You imagine there had to have been debate over that because like you, they would look at that video and go, come on, guys. Like the call on the ice was a bad call. Our job is to find the evidence. Uh, So what's the vote here? Okay, three say that we don't have the evidence. Two say that we do. So, okay, we can't overturn the call on the ice. Like I... You're telling me that every play like that, Dregs, goes to a vote of four or five guys? It's not just one guy saying that's absolutely goalie interference? No. No, I I mean, whether or not it officially goes to a vote, informally there would be a vote inside that room. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? At the end of the day, yeah, it's probably Colin Campbell or uh, Chris King that ultimately makes the call, but it would be in conjunction with the opinion of those in the room and on the headset. I, I just can't believe down. that four or five guys that have yeah. been around the game that long would say that that's, that's goalie interference. Yeah, that's bonkers to me. All right. Well, it's something that sadly isn't going to go away, and we'll be talking about it as part of the GM meetings in March in Florida. Uh, I want to skip over to the Vancouver Canucks. So, um, you know, it made – I was going to say headlines. I don't know if it made headlines. It, it, it was fodder for radio and media conversation reporting – when head coach Rick talking to the Vancouver Canucks was asked a question about the play of Elias Petters and the fact that a couple of games, three, four games, yeah, he just didn't seem to be himself. I think it was Farhan Lalji from TSN who asked and said he looks a little off, right? Taka didn't, you know, sound off like a, you know, a, a, an angry coach. He literally just said, yeah, doesn't seem to be skating the way he's, you know, we're used to seeing him skating. He makes the high skill plays, but he needs to do it when he's skating. And then things go sideways. So first of all, I want your opinion on, on I would call it controlled analysis, criticism, Rick Tockett of his star forward. Darren, what about just grown men acting like grown men? I know there's a lot of things in the past where coaches would do things and conduct themselves in a way where that has to go to the wayside and things are different now. But what's wrong, and I think it's a big part of what the turnaround in Vancouver has been, and the key word is accountability. Do things blow up a little bit in Canadian markets when a coach makes a comment on a player? Yes, that can happen. But that's largely due to what the media does with the comments. But, Rick, I find nothing wrong, and I love Rick Rick Tockett's comments where he said he's just got to skate more and be better flat out. And I love Pedersen's comments where he said this is a professional league. This isn't the Quebec Pee Wee tournament where you can't criticize anybody and people don't like it. And he said, it's a professional league and the coach wants me to do more. And that's what I'm going to do. And what did he do the next game? He had two goals in the game winner and he played great. That's just what the expectation in the league is. But I love the comment of it's a professional league and the coach wants me to do more. And that's what I'm going to do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because everything is correct. It's not where you're just because you're talented and you make a bunch of money and your contract's up that you can never comment on your play. I find that to be uh, to be bizarre. And it's the way things are nowadays where these kids are coddled and have had their tires pumped from the age of 13. And then they get to some adversity in the NHL and they're like, oh, I don't like the way somebody talked about me like that. As long as it's within the boundaries and it's constructive criticism, it's the best league in the world. The coach wants more, and you got to bring more. And the coach handled it properly, and more importantly, the player handled it better. Yeah, so Zuby, our producer, has isolated a clip 
of Rick Tockett, which really puts a bow on this story from last week, right? And and people shouldn't forget that Rick Tockett spent a good amount of time as part of media. Now, he's not quote-unquote media. He wasn't. He was a TNT panelist, but he had to analyze the game. So he understands the media side of things. And when all was said and done, Rick Tockett pushed back at the media response. So listen up. Well, I didn't think he'd scale last night, so if the article I blasted him, I mean, that's you guys. I mean, but what do you want him to say? I mean, you guys are taking it to a – if Hoggy has a bad game, a couple of bad games, I, I say it, but it's not in the paper. Like, P's a big man. You know, he had a tough night skating-wise, I thought. It's over with. You know, he played 21 minutes. He's not on the end of the bench, so we're, we're taking this to a different level. Like, yeah, it's different. I, I was on your side as a media guy. Right, and I get it, but you guys got to analyze the game too. You got to understand certain things too. So it's not talking has a problem with Pedersen. It's you ask me a question: who was good, who was bad? So I got to be careful because if if you guys are going to ask me questions now, a player, I'm not going to say I'm going to say no comment. I'll let you guys analyze it. So you guys got to be careful. That's not a big deal. He's out there smiling. It's not a big deal. So maybe it's a story that we're we're winning a lot, and we're looking for negativity. That's the way I look at it. Not to blast you guys. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I, I'll tell you, you know this, so nothing pisses me off more than when you get into the heat of the battle on a panel among media and you as a player will say to me, Dregs, you never played the game. All right. Well, I get that, but I do understand some of the nuance. I don't understand, you know, in the trenches and, and some of the stuff that you guys have had to go through. But the fact that Tockett holds the media accountable by saying that and saying, I appreciate what you have to do, but I'm holding you accountable as well. Because I didn't say, I did not blast Elias Pettersson. I did not. I answered a question with honesty. So if you're going to throw that back in my face and try and create negativity, then I'm going to be more careful in the future, which nobody wants, by the way. You want the honest Rick Tockett. So I love the fact that he put a bow on this thing, but also said to the media, okay, stop it, because we're not doing this moving forward. First of all, if I ever said to you, you never played the game, it would be a (laughs) joking way. I've never said that to anyone on live television. But talk, it's right. He's like, if you guys are going to continue to blow these types of comments out and make this a big deal and create a distraction for my team, then I just won't say it anymore. So yeah. I don't know how many more opportunities he's going to give them, but I guarantee it drags. It's not going to be a lot. If it happens again, he's like, don't ask. He's going to say, don't ask me about individual <laughs> players because I can't do it because you're making a mockery out of this stuff. So good on him for saying that too. If he's it, like, I just don't understand how that blew into something where he simply commented and said, a player's got to skate a little bit more to be better. <laughs> it's very simple. Yeah. It's very simple. You talk about players complaining about, uh, Canadian markets, that would be an example where like, why did that blow into something that it didn't need to be? It's a no. simply a coach commenting on a player that he loves dearly and is so important to the team, but he's not going to give him a hall pass and just not comment and say that he's been great. Because a lot of times I think coaches are maybe afraid to comment on a star player. Or yeah. if they do, they got to back it up and say, oh, that's not what I meant. This is big boy stuff, man. It's the NHL. You've got to be able to criticize constructively what players are doing on the ice. That's what it's all about. Agreed. All right, let's wrap up headlines. It's All-Star Week in in Toronto, and we're not going to go deep into what's happening on Friday today or All-Star Weekend in general. Um, But you did participate 
in an all-star. And you do have an NHL all-star story. So it just seems like a fitting and a perfect way to wrap up the Tim Hortons headlines. Dregs, it was like, it was such a great thing to be an NHL all-star because I was so pissed off for years. It was, I was kind of a leading scorer on the Hurricanes and I'm like, I'm going to be an all-star this year. There's no goddamn way that they're not going to put me on. And Sammy, it was one of those, it was a bunch of years where it was like, the world versus North America. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I'm not beating out Mario or Keith Kachuk or Jeremy Roenick. And it would just be announced. Sammy Kapanen, all-star, an international team. And I'm like, I've got 15 more goals than that guy. How could I not be an all-star? But that's the way it was. So I finally get the call. And I don't even think I was having my best season. And it was probably the most costly all-star game. I can I don't know how much it cost me, at least 50 grand, because I brought my parents, their best friends. They flew down to Tampa to watch me play. The all-star game was in Florida. So I had to get their plane tickets, two limos to Tampa, game tickets, seven of my best friends and my two brothers, <laughs> everyone plane tickets, tickets to the game. And I can remember my buddies drinking. All they did was drink beer by the pool with the of NHL course. players yeah. all day. And I was I remember saying to my oldest brother, God bless him. I said, man, you guys are racking up some beers on this pool. And he looked at me. I thought he was joking. And he said, don't worry. This is going on your hotel bill. And I thought he was joking. <laughs> I went to check out of that hotel to go home. And the printer for my bill kept falling onto the floor. And I asked the lady, I'm like, is something wrong with the printer? And she's like, no, we're just getting your incidentals, everything that's been charged to your room. And there was 7 million Bud Lights charged. They, they charged every drink of booze they had to my room. And I just said, I don't know if it was worth it having my friends on this trip. But it was a great experience to play in the game. It was a little bit disappointing because it was kind of the beginning of guys saying no thanks. Yeah. Mario Lemieux, Matt Sundin, Cujo. It was like they were like, no thanks. So it, I wanted to be in the room with those guys. There were still great players there, but it was a great experience. And I'll tell you what, it was costly, very costly. I'll bet. That's outstanding. All right. That's your Tim Hortons headlines. Your favorite retro donuts are back from the past. And with our 20-minute fresh coffee, what's classic is always fresh. So good. It's time for retro donuts. It's time for Tim's. Interviews on Ray and Dregs are brought to us by Canadian Club Whiskey, who have introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, CC 15-year-old Cherry Cask, the signature CC Classic 12-year-old whiskey, finished with a secondary aging in Oloroso Sherry Casks. All right, oh, um, special opportunity here. Ask Ray and Dregs anything. So it's ask Dregs and O anything for this week. You can send us your questions on Twitter, Instagram, at Dregs or on the website, uh, com. We're going to start with Jeff, another Jeff, who's a longtime listener, says he's been listening since episode one. Hypothetically, assuming both brother duos you choose had full careers and weren't cut short due to injury, if you had to choose two brothers to keep on your team from start to finish, who would you choose? So he thinks of the twins, Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Uh, maybe the Burray brothers, Pavel and Valerie. Eric and Brett Lindros. A couple of the Sutters, maybe. Jack, Quinn Hughes. 
the Nylanders, the Cortinals, the Espositos, even Wayne and Brent Gretzky, <laughs> Jeff says. Or is there anyone else that you can think of that you would uh, be happy to saddle up beside in terms of the brother duo? Dregs, you just mentioned like just some all-timers right there. Yeah. But you give me Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk and throw in their old man on the same team somehow. <laughs> I, I, I just think that they're like we always throw around terms like just whatever hockey terms that we're consistently tossing out on whatever platform we're working on. But like if yeah. you want to talk about like organizational changers, you look at what Brady's brought to the Ottawa Senators. He's already the captain. The guy plays for keeps every single night. And so does his brother down in Florida. It's like, you know. Matthew Kachuk this year was in a bit of a slump offensively, and he was asked about it, and he said, that doesn't bother me. Well, we All our focus now is on winning. And they got a taste of going to the Stanley Cup final this year. And I'm not trying to slam Jonathan Huberdeau and say that he was the piece that had to go out the door, but what a completely different culture shift where it's like they watch that guy play down in Florida, and he competes and he battles every night and he works his ass off. And that's that's the definition of a game changer where everybody on the team looks at someone and he sets the standard where it's different. Just competition level, contributing at the right times. Both of them and their old man was the same way. Like, you give me a, you give me a set of brothers, man. Yeah. I don't know if I can ever get off of those two. Well, and, and the fact that you include Walt is an important distinction because as you're talking about Florida's run last year, it, it comes to mind, and I don't think it's coincidence. You remember when Keith Kachuk, you know, going up against the Leafs, gave it to Matthew and the Florida Panthers in general and just saying, hey, you know, I hope these guys aren't out there looking for autographs from Marner and Matthews. I'm not so sure, oh, that that wasn't a galvanizing comment. No kidding. Like after Matthew that, maybe they heard the comments, Dregs, and they were like, <laughs> God, are we a bunch of sissies out there? Like we maybe we got to just man up and play better. And they did. They went to the finals. <laughs> so... Terrific observation. If I was pushed, I think I'd, you know, it's current day. I think I'd have to go with Quinn and Jack. And you could throw Luke Hughes into the mix too, man. He's going to be a stud for the New Jersey Devils. All right, uh, next question from Matt. Big Senators fan. He currently lives in Squamish. I guess that's BC. Yes. Um, he says, I, I have some pretty miserable years lately watching the Ottawa Senators and started reminiscing on some great playoffs in the past. So I'm wondering what both of you have in terms of your most memorable playoff series in the recent past is. For me, watching the Sens take Pittsburgh to double overtime game seven was heartbreaking, but one hell of a series. So I don't know. I mean, is it, you could probably offer several. I mean, as, as a player, you would have a heartbreaking series for sure. One comes to mind. And maybe now as, a, as an analyst, is there another one that you'd call uh, memorable? Well, the, the, obviously the one that really sticks out is the idea of going to a Stanley Cup final and playing in the finals, and you're just, it's kind of a surreal thing. I can remember beating out the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Kevin Weeks was our backup goaltender that game, and he was screaming on the bench, we're going to the Cup. Like, we're going to the Cup. And I was listening to that, I'm like, holy crap, we are going to the Cup. And then when you get there, Dregs, and you don't get it done, it's like, the idea of putting so much into that is so deflating and getting nothing yeah. out of it. You get a small trophy. It's right behind me there. And that's all you get. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, man, it would have been easier to lose in the first round, but 
it, it's just one of those things that that's what you get, and that's why it's so special to win the Stanley Cup. But I go back to the just the way that the Pittsburgh Penguins played those two back-to-back cups. Like, every series they had, man. Ugh. You talk about skill. And I think teams like the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets are starting to understand this. With Sidney Crosby and Geno Malkin in Latang, it wasn't all about skill. Like, they all played their ass off. And they had a thing where they had a team role where everybody finishes their check. It's yeah. like that's what it takes to win. And watching the Penguins in those back-to-back cups – I went down with Ray to Pittsburgh for a couple of the panels, and it was like that—that that was a team, man. They played like a team, yeah. and just watching that back-to-back run, that was pretty special. Yeah, I, I got it. And those ones are hard to beat against Detroit. I get that. Uh, for me, it might be uh, covering the 2001 Stanley Cup final, and of course, that was Ray Bork and the Colorado Avalanche, right, beating the New Jersey Devils in in Game Seven. And I, I'm trying to think. Alex Tongay in that game seven had a heck of a game. And I mean, he was a kid at that point of his NHL career. But, you know, just seeing Ray Bork, who had been through everything so much with the Boston Bruins, finally get his hands on that cup and hoist that trophy, uh, you know, pretty special moment, I would say. And Darren, that's one of those instances where you talk about dealing with adversity. Don't forget the Colorado Avalanche lost Peter Forsberg in those playoffs and he wasn't playing. And they just said, you know what, we're doing it anyway. That's what I always, people yeah. are like, oh, we're injury. We've got injuries. They lost Forsberg and won the cup. It's like, <laughs> that's dealing with adversity. We're pretty much ready to wrap this thing up. That didn't take that long. Crisp 37 minutes in, in counting. Um, you have any Ray Ferraro stories playing against him? Or not really? You didn't, you know, like anything where he was beaking at you, which would probably be non-stop or i wanted to wrap my stick around that little rat's face in la one night <laughs> and i don't know why he did this dregs because yeah. i was 176 pounds when he did it to me i don't know him but i said something to somebody and he just went up to me and he's like hey fat ass and he and he blew his <laughs> cheeks out like that to me and i'm like I was thinking to myself, I know this guy's calling me fat, but I'm 176 pounds. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I don't know why, and it bugged me for a long time. Obviously, you get to know him after, but I, I, I've never even asked him about it because he probably doesn't remember. And to think that he probably did that 10 times a night to people just to annoy people. But he puffed his cheeks out and he was like, hey, fat ass. And he was like, but I like if he did it to me now, it would be more understandable. But at 176 pounds, I just don't get why he did that. So anybody watching or listening is going to think that you and I had this conversation before starting the record, and we no. did not. No. I just pulled that from left field. <laughs> I know. And I've always thought about that where I'm like, he just had this face. On. He had a face he wanted to punch right in the middle. But I remember, I'll I'll tell you what, one of the great lines in the NHL back in the day was him in Atlanta when he was with Donald Adet and who's the coach of Nashville? Brunette. It was Ray Brunette Brunette. and Donald Adet. And I'll tell you what, that was an unbelievable line in the NHL. They didn't have like the name power of the Lemieux, Jagger, Ron Francis, but those guys got three points a night, usually in thrasher losses, but they were pretty damn good. (laughs) He still talks about Bruno Andrew Burnett as being one of the most underrated players that ever played the game. Love yeah. playing with him. All right. Well, that's terrific stuff. All right, buddy. Uh, overdrive all week long. Anything else that's uh, going to keep you busy this week? 
you know what? This is one of those weeks, Dregs, where we got to grind. The All-Star break, there's not yeah. a ton of games, not a lot of Leafs stuff. But the only thing saving us is we did three years with COVID with no sports, so we know how to <laughs> wing it for a couple hours. <laughs> well, I'll be joining you on Wednesday, so we'll have some fun there. All right, buddy. Thanks for doing this, and uh, look forward to connecting later in the week, all right? All right, Darren. Thanks. Thanks to our sponsors who continue to support Ray and Dregs, our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, and... Tim Hortons. Until next time, stay safe, everybody.